You're listening to the FUVFC Podcast on WFUVSports.org. Yes, hello, and welcome into a very special episode of FUVFC, everybody. I've got Tyler Bailey with me again for this one. Tyler, how are you, man? Doing excellent. How about you, John? I'm doing just fantastic. And you know why I'm doing fantastic, Ty? Because it's not just us today. We've got a special guest on the phone. Who, we've got, who is it? We've got former U.S. men's national team player and current host of BN on the Street with BN Sports. And, and his and, <laughs> and, and And Tyler Bailey. Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, how are you, man? I'm good. You forgot the most handsome defender in MLS history, but we'll let that slide. That is true. I, oh, man, Tyler, yeah, I should have jumped in one, and told him. Yeah, you sorry, should have yeah. picked that one up. You're Those were in look the like pregame a... notes, but I forgot that they're at. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's fair. I forgive you guys. You're, yeah. le- you're le- look, making me look bad in front of Jimmy here. On, <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. My goodness. But it's anyway, all, It's all my fault again. Obviously, we're going to talk about the U.S.'s past two games with Jimmy, who he's kind of an expert on the subject. You know how it is. But we're going to talk about their past two World Cup qualifying games in which they won 6-0 against Honduras and drew 1-1 last night with Panama. Jim, we're going to get into those games, you know, specifically in a second, but I just want to say two words to you. Christian Pulisic, how good is this kid? Yeah, I think he's the real deal. I know we have a tendency in this country to hype up our youngest players and probably build them up to be better than they really are, but he backs it up, and I really appreciate and respect how he handles the hype. It's just not that big of a deal. He's already wearing the number 10 shirt for the U.S. He's only 18 years old. He's pulling the strings for us. He was arguably our best player over these last two games, and I think the future is very bright. And as a fan, if I'm speaking strictly as a fan, I'm excited that by the age of 31, he could have participated in four World Cups for us. So that's a, that's a really big deal. Now we just need a few other pool of six in different areas of the field to help kind of elevate his game and the rest of the team as well. I would agree with that. Uh, I think we get a few in the uh, Schalke pipeline, which is always a good start. Weston McKinney, Haji Wright, uh, Nick Tytag, who I think will who will have their uh, chance to make an impact in due time. But right now, Jimmy, I want to get into your personal experience. Uh, you obviously spent some time with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, but not only that, you spent time with a Bruce Arena coached U.S. men's national team. So for these last two games, you know, we had – the rough patch back in November, we had the 6-0 against Honduras. How much do you think Bruce's mentality played into what we saw last night uh, in terms of personnel, uh, the way they went out there, stuff like that? I lo- well, I'll, I'll start here and say that I love Bruce. Um, he took me to a World Cup, so he'll always have a special place in my heart. But taking that, that bias aside, I think it was just time for the guys to hear a different voice. So not to lessen the impact of Bruce, but I just think having a change just for the sake of a change has done wonders for the team. And then obviously when you add a, pl- or excuse me, a manager like Bruce, who's such a good man-manager, who really gets the most out of his players, who doesn't try to instill himself into every single thing that maybe a former manager might have done and try to be a control freak on every single thing. He, when, you, when you play for Bruce, he trusts you. And when you go on the field for you, he's completely got your back. He's never going to sell you out. He's not going to sell you out in the press conferences after the game. And as a player, that's really reassuring that, that when you're on the field, it's because he knows or that you know that, that the manager has 100% belief in what you're capable of. And when you play with that type of confidence, you play different. And you play like you actually enjoy being out there. And I think that's been evident over these last two games. Yeah, so what you're saying basically is that he's the anti-Klinsman and you think uh, <laughs> you think it's pretty good that a, a manager isn't telling their players how bad they are after every game? <laughs> I think that's helpful. And, and you know, in fairness to Jurgen, there were certain things that I thought he did well. I, I really appreciated him broadening the player pool, 
Uh, I thought he brought an air of gravitas to the position, uh, maybe brought some more credibility to it uh, from a global perspective. But at some point, you have to coach. You know, you can't just be a marketing guy. You can't just be selling something. You actually have to be able to walk the walk. I don't know how many cliches I just gave you there, but I gave you a bunch. And I think you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. But it's, it's something with Bruce. There's something substantial about him that he's a winner. He's won everywhere that he's gone, and I think he instills that, I don't want to call it arrogance, but there's a confidence there that he knows what he's doing, and that trickles down to the players so that when they get on the field, it's clear that there's a, there's a plan about how we're going to attack, how we're going to defend, and the game ultimately becomes easier when everybody's on the same page. And I just don't think we saw that consistently under Jurgen Klinsmann. Jimmy, we'll get into the hex here for a second as a whole. We've got Mexico on 10 points. We've got Costa Rica on 7, Panama on 5. The U.S. is in fourth place right now. They've got four points. They are tied with Honduras, who also have four points, but U.S. has the goal difference advantage. So let's look at the hex from a broad perspective here. Obviously, the top three qualify, and Tyler and I were talking about this last week on the podcast. The hex isn't the most difficult you know, World Cup qualification, I guess, region. Yeah, the region is the right word. But fourth place means a a, a first a, a playoff against the fifth place Asian team, which right now is Australia. So that's not that's not looking like it's going to be an easy task. So you want to be able to lock this up, being one of those top three spots moving into the world, moving into the the uh, the end of the hex when it's all said and done next year. So do you th- looking at the upcoming games? They've got Trinidad next, and then they've got Mexico at the Azteca, which is never never an easy thing to do. Do you think that this Trinidad game is a must-win in order for the U.S. to make the World Cup? Uh, to make the World Cup, probably not. Then you'd have to go steal some points in some very difficult uh, situations um, or difficult places to play, like Azteca or, or, or I guess we already played in Costa Rica, but uh, or in Honduras, right? These are really play- difficult places to play. And Mexico got got lucky with getting a point against Trinidad last night, so there's no easy games in Concacaf. I think. I think the perception is that it's it's easier than it is, and maybe we get more spots allocated to us than some other regions, and I understand that argument. But Mexico qualified in the last World Cup cycle in fourth place. They ended up having a better World Cup than us uh, in 2014. Yeah, um, there seemed to be more confidence coming out of their camp heading into that tournament, so it's really it's really hard to say. I mean, they, I, I guess when you get fourth in your Mexico and you end up playing New Zealand over two legs, which is <laughs> over two legs, Mexico is always going to beat them. Maybe in a one-off New Zealand, maybe had half a chance, but I think they almost tasted defeat, almost tasted the, uh, uh, the most negative thing that, that could happen to a national team, especially one that's expected to go to every World Cup. And they survived that, and then they just kind of like, hey, we're playing with house money, and they seemed to relax and had a really good World Cup and got unlucky into losing to, lose to the Dutch. But with, so if we get fourth place and we have to play Australia, I think we can beat them over two legs. Australia isn't the, the powerhouse they used to be. If they can only muster uh, the strength to get fifth in the Asian region, uh, I just, I, it doesn't say much about their squad overall. And I think we could beat anybody um, we have to play in a playoff. But obviously you don't want to get into that situation. Our U23s had to do that and couldn't make it happen against Colombia. Obviously Colombia is a little bit better uh, for me than, than uh, Australia, but so, yeah, I mean, I'm not really worried, but, yeah, we need to pick up points, and we need to pick up points against teams that are inferior to us. We are better than Trinidad and Tobago, and that's what I loved about the Honduras game is that we were at home, we're better on paper, we're, we, we have the crowd behind us, we need to put our stamp on things, and we did. And we should have beaten that team by multiple goals, and we did beat them by multiple goals. And I don't think we could say that we did that 
uh, with a lot of consistency in the past. So that was really reassuring. And then we had a difficult game in Panama. It was always going to be a difficult game. I played in a couple of World Cup qualifiers um, in hostile environments, and, and they're not easy. And the referees are going against you, and, and the fields are kind of crazy, and they're going to do everything they possibly can to throw you off your game. So what we get a point in a tough area. That's great. And now we're at home against Trinidad in the next one. We need all three. So, yeah, must win. I don't know if it's a must win, but we, we definitely need all three to help take some pressure off. Otherwise, we're trying to go into Mexico. We're trying to go into Honduras and, and have to win those games, and that proves to be a lot more difficult. All right, so obviously those two games coming up in June are incredibly important uh, no matter what happens. Uh, but between now and then, now that Bruce Arena has his first two competitive matches uh, of this part of his career uh, with the U.S. men's national team under his belt, uh, he's got both MLS players and players in Europe uh in like mid-season form between now and, and June, basically. Uh, what do you think he has to do to prepare this squad, not only to pick up results in the meantime, uh, but to perform more consistently going forward? Uh, do you think it's a more personnel-based question, getting guys healthy, getting guys into camp, getting in contact with those guys, or figuring out how to implement the way he wants to play, his philosophy with this group? Well, I thought what was interesting with his lineup last night was Jermaine Jones next to Michael Bradley. I really thought that was a Jurgen Klinsmann move. Um, and I didn't think we'd ever see that under Bruce. In, in the first game when Jermaine was suspended against Honduras, I thought we played quite well. Now, I thought Panama was a much difficult, much more difficult test than Honduras. Honduras didn't really play uh, with the same type of bite that they usually do. But that shouldn't take or lessen the impact that the guys did and, and how well they performed. So I, I, the Jermaine Jones, Michael Bradley, never really sat well with me. Sure, we got a couple of results, and we'll grind it out, and they're both good players, but they seem to replicate a lot of, of what they're doing, and they, they look for the same type of ball. And sure, they're smart enough to, to kind of work out how they're going to work together, but they honestly, the best way to say it is they're both alpha males. And we have these two alpha males that, that want to be the guy in the middle of the field, and I just don't know if that works. You need one guy. And that's why Kyle Beckerman was always a nice compliment to those guys because – he didn't want to be the alpha male. He's just going to go in there and grind it out and do his work and let the other guy be the star. And I, I think we need that contrast in the middle of midfield. And I don't know if Jermaine and Michael have that. So that would be one relationship and one tactical assessment that I would make is Bruce. Like, okay, from game one to game two in these two games, these, these my first two meaningful games since I've been back, we've had a little bit of a drop-off against Panama. Was it because of this? Was it because of all these other things? And then you have to have real conversations. I mean, I guess that's the next step is if you're going to make some changes or if you're going to do that, you know, when you're dealing with alpha males, you're going to have to hold their hand and explain to them why you're making the decision. And, and that goes. I mean, we're in the ego business. When you're a professional athlete, play for your national team, you're considered the best, you walk around like you're the best, and if you are going to get some news that isn't good or could, you know, harm your ego in any way, you're going to have to be uh, talked to in a certain way. And so that's up to Bruce, and that's, that's the challenge of any national team manager, not just Bruce um, and any professional manager. To, to really know how to push the buttons of your players and how to get the most out of them. Because if let's say you don't go with Jermaine Jones or Michael Bradley or somebody else uh, that's been a stalwart for a long time with the team, can you still keep them motivated and engaged that they could help us coming off the bench in some way? Can they still be a leader off the field, even if things aren't going well for them personally? And that, that's, that's why the, the top guys make the big bucks, because they know how to figure that out. And I think Bruce is one of the best in the business here in the States uh, with regard to that. Yeah, and I mean, I think specifically, I, I think it's time for Jermaine Jones to pass the torch or have the 
torch be passed, depending on who's making that decision. Um, it, you know, he's looked like a passenger in the last few games with the U.S. Men's National Team. He's looked a step slow. Uh, he really isn't ever in the right position to get anything positive done. But if you're going to pass that torch, I guess the most important question now is who you're going to pass it to. So do you think it's a guy who can kind of replicate the Kyle Beckerman role in Dax McCarty? Uh, or is it somebody who's younger, uh, who's got a lot to prove, like Kellen Acosta, who we saw make his uh, center midfield debut with the U.S. Men's National Team last night? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think there's a few choices, like the guys you mentioned. Um, can you get maybe Michael Bradley, who I thought sat deeper last night, to, you know, you spread out the two center backs and he can drop in and be the deep line playmaker. Can you get him to, to stay and be a little bit more disciplined? Uh, Michael Bradley will go down as one of our most talented and most hardworking players international team program's history but sometimes i feel like he does more work than he needs to and you need from a a proper six you need somebody that's going to protect the back four and not be looking to make runs going forward and michael uh to his credit and, and maybe it works against him at times he does so much work and he cares so much that he's trying to bomb forward to help you attack he's trying to get back and pressure guys on the sideline and at some point as you age you just can't cover the same amount of ground now his soccer iq is off the charts so to have him stay disciplined in front of the back four, I think, would be very advantageous for our team. But that's not to say it's in him. It might not. His instincts aren't that. So if he's not willing to sit in that sixth hole and just kind of hang out and almost Andrea Pirlo-esque and not do as much work but still control a lot of the game, then I think there's a bright future for Michael with the national team for many, many years, uh, despite his age, because I just think his IQ, as I said, is, is really high. But then you're going to need somebody next to him that is – being able to uh, come off his shoulder or be a little bit higher, that does have that work rate. And if you do that, then I think Dax gets eliminated. I think you can put Costa in there. Uh, Sasha Question could be an option. Darlington Nagby could stay up a little bit higher. I know he's done well on the wings, but I don't think we see him as much when he's pinned up against the sideline. I think he's got a lot more to offer, especially when we transition from defense to offense. And honestly, this is, these are good problems to have. But I agree with you. I think Jermaine's time, uh, despite, I think, what he brings to the team, which is a lot of fight and leadership, and accountability, like I don't think he has any problem holding Josie Altidore accountable or Michael Bradley accountable, and, and those guys are worth their weight in gold as well. So, you know, these are these are great questions to have. We have some options. I think we're all feeling good about these last few results, and I hope we can just keep continue to to carry it on through these next two games, especially in Azteca, where we have to get some points back after Mexico stole three from us at the beginning of qualification. Jimmy, with the exception of Pulisic, who impressed you the most these for these last two games? You know, I was really high on Leggett. You know, I thought he was a surprise starter in the Honduras game. It's unfortunate he got hurt. He got the first goal, you know, just being industrious industrious and finding, I can't say that today, I had to say it twice. And I said it right the first time, which is awesome because I'm good at interviews. But I thought he did a really good job of just having the right type of energy. And I think it gets back to he's a nice compliment player or a complimentary player where he – I mean, as much as he kind of comes off as a persona that likes to be uh, the boy or whatever he calls himself, <laughs> when he gets on the field, he knows his role, and he gives everything that he has. And I think that's, that's a nice contrast to, to Pulisic, for example, who has so much talent and is going to be the guy um, to have some hard workers next to him. And, and I think Bruce is going to build a team, and that's probably why he started him, that you have that contrast. You have a little bit of, I got some hard workers, I got some super talented guys, and now I'm going to work on finding the, the best chemistry for my team to have success. And he did that to great effect as manager in the 2002 World Cup. It didn't work as well when I was in my World Cup in 06. But, but I got to see intimately how he, he, how he built teams and how uh, like the, the machinations behind that and, and what he's thinking about. And, and 
I'm really excited that Bruce is back. Now I'm still eager for U.S. soccer to start making moves because we can't anticipate who we want to have next after the 2018 World Cup because I think Bruce will move on. But, but um, yeah, I mean, for me, the future feels bright. It feels good right now, and it's a nice place to be after so many months of just being disappointed with the progress of the national team. Yeah, I want to stop talking about the U.S. men's national team on that bright note right there and move over to Major League Soccer where you spent uh, more than a decade, and there's a lot of MLS news right now. We're in the early season. There's players moving around. There's teams getting off to hot starts. But um, I'm sure you have a ton of thoughts on this. But I want you to rate Chicago Fire's signing of Bastion Schweinsteiger on a scale of 1 to 10. Well, what's, what are the, what's the range? One being bad. One, one being one bad. being bad. Ten, ten being <laughs> he's he's the next. Uh, I don't know Thierry Henry or something. So I'll say this. I don't. Okay, I wanted to give you a preface, and I'm going to give you a preface because I want to think this through, and then I'll give you a rating when I'm done talking. I'm going to say that I was really impressed with Feinsteiger's professionalism through his Manchester United uh, or during his time under Jose Mourinho at Manchester United because. He was in the doghouse. He wasn't even in the first 25. He remained positive. He had no problems training with the academy players. Uh, I don't think I've seen a guy of his stature, a World Cup winner, that handled that kind of disappointment like he did. And that changed my perspective on him. And then not only that, he got back into the team. He ended up scoring a goal. He looked good. He looked sharp. And it was really cool to see him have that, that one special moment in Manchester United now before he moved to the Chicago Fire. He's 32 years old. And I think that credibility that he brings, the pedigree, uh, the experience, the leadership. He seems to have the right attitude. And I think that's really important when you sign foreigners in MLS because a lot of them come over thinking they have it all figured out, and they're like, whoa, actually, this league's a lot harder than I thought. I actually have to work. You know, they don't realize they have to work, and I don't think that's going to be a problem with Schweinsteiger. And, and I think I'm cautiously optimistic that he's going to be a good signing for the Chicago Fire. Now, he can't move like he used to, but if you look at Schweinsteiger over the years, he was never a super mobile a guy. You know, he's not going to be like beating you for pace. That was never his game. So I think he'll he'll fit in quite well because he's cerebral. He, he sees the game, he's got a good IQ, and he's going to elevate the play uh, elevate the play of the guys around him. So I think it's a good signing. Obviously, it's yet to be seen how it's all going to play out. I'll say an eight. I, I think wow. I think it'll work. I, I do. I really think That's it'll work out. That's pretty darn high, that, Jimmy. It is. It is. I, I I think really what changed my mind was just his reaction to the disappointment because I feel like. A lot of guys in his position would have pouted, would have asked to get out, and maybe there was some contractual thing in there that said, hey, man, just be cool and then you'll get paid or whatever. And then, you know, hats it to him for continuing to, to keep that act together. But there is something about him, and when you read about him, there's never a bad word about Boston Feinsteiger, and, and he seems excited to come, and, you know, it's yet to be seen how he's going to do on the field, but everything that's, that's leading up to it has been nothing but positive. So the Chicago Fire in general – uh, you know, it's always just been a bit of a, uh, I don't even cut on this, but it's been a bit, kind of a crap show. That doesn't sound as cool as the other word I wanted to use. But, <laughs> but they seem to have figured it out um, a little bit this season. And I, picking, picking up Dax McCarty was a good signing. And I think that's the biggest issue now is you really want to roll, um, you know, these two central midfielders, Dax and Schweinsteiger, who, who not necessarily play similarly, but they play in the same they play in the same position, ultimately, and you're not going to get a lot of mobility in that area, but maybe you don't need it. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to that. But it's like I said earlier with the national team, when you have a lot of good players, it's a, that's a good problem to have because then you have options. 
Jimmy, thank you so much for agreeing with me. We talked about this at length last week. Tyler disagreed with me. I was 100% in your corner. I was saying this is a great signing for for the MLS and the Chicago Fire. You're sheep, John. No, hey, listen. <laughs> I think listen. I think he's a great signing. I'm with Jimmy. I think the way that he handled his disappointment at Manchester United really says a lot about how what kind of player he is. And I think he's a hard worker. And Jimmy's right. A lot of players come over here and don't really know what they're what they signed up for. And I think Schweinsteiger is not going to have that problem. So that's, in my opinion, that's about half the battle with foreigners coming over here to the MLS. But we'll switch gears just a little bit here. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on how NYCFC and the Red Bulls have opened this season? Yeah, I think, as I expected, you know, early season stuff, you got a new team. Uh, the beauty of MLS, there's always a pretty decent amount of turnover with your roster uh, from season to season. I always remember how, like establishing friendships with some of my teammates, and then all of a sudden they were gone eight months later, um, and then having to like redo that every single year for twelve years. But but and, and that's gone. That actually, I, until they stop expanding, that's uh, that's not going to go away anytime soon. So I, every all this, I don't know. It's really hard with MLS to to know what kind of team you have until you're about four or five months in. And even the teams that have, go off on a hot, hot start and don't lose any games, you still don't really know what your team's made of until you, you have that one stretch where you don't win any games. And how you fight out of that, I think, is really going to show what you're made of. And, and the team you, that you're going to be when some adversity hits and the games get tighter at the end of the year, the stretch run and then into the playoffs or even in Open Cup games. So I, I think they've both started off fine. I'm sure they'd like to do a little bit better in certain areas. and you know, and uh, But... Yeah, that's part of it. I, it's hard for me. I don't really get into any power rankings this early in the season for MLS. I think you have to give it three or four months to really know for sure. All right. Well, before we let you go, um, you were on Grant Wall's podcast last week. You're on our podcast this week. Do you think if you continue on this this upward trajectory, you'll eventually end up on uh, Men in Blazers one day? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the end-all, be-all, I think, right? I mean, right, I really yeah. I to be on uh, Men in Blazers. Yeah, I haven't gotten the invite in a long time. I used to co-host the show when uh, Davo couldn't be on it uh, when they were on Sirius XM, but it's been a long time since I got the call back. I mean, we've gotten a lot bigger since then, so maybe I just need to get bigger too. Sad. I'm crying right now. You guys can't see it. I'm <laughs> Jimmy Conrad, former U.S. men's national team player and current YouTuber. You can check out his YouTube channel if that if that interests you, youtube.com slash Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really, really appreciate it. A lot of good stuff on the U.S. men's national team. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And then, John, you can agree with me anytime. If you do that, I'll come on your show regularly. <laughs> awesome. That's what I, I, li- I, that's what I like to hear, Jimmy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, there you go. Jimmy Conrad, former U.S. men's national team player, as we just mentioned, current YouTuber. And you can follow him at Jimmy Conrad on Twitter. Tyler, how about that? That was a good interview. Yeah, dude, that was great. Um, the one thing we didn't touch on with the U.S. men's national team, though, was Clint Dempsey. Uh, again, thrown but right back into the squad, scoring hat trick against yeah. Honduras, capped off by a pretty excellent free kick goal. That was. And then keeper could have done a little bit better. Yeah, a little bit know. better, but uh, that that ball had some serious movement on it. Um, and then scoring, obviously, the lone goal for the U.S. against Panama off the yeah. back of some insane work by Christian Pulisic. So. Uh, great to see him back playing full 90 for the Sounders, full 90 for the U.S. men's national yeah. team. He is 34, but he's such an important part oh, of this God, team. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, and I, I think, obviously, if he doesn't do it uh, by June, he'll do it in the Gold Cup. Uh, he's going to break Landon Donovan's goal-scoring record. Oh, absolutely. He is, he is the most pure attacker I think we've ever produced so far. Uh, Pulisic might get there yeah. sooner rather than later. 
but for now it's still Clint Dempsey. He's still the he's still the top dog. Yeah, no, he was absolutely fantastic in these past two games, as you mentioned, the hat trick and uh, and the goal last night, four goals in two games. It's just great to see him back as a USA fan and as just a fan of sports in general. Yeah. I mean, he had that awful, awful health scare, missed all of basically all of the run into the MLS Cup last season, didn't play in the MLS Cup. Obviously, his team did end up winning it, but, man, oh, man, it's great to see him back, and it's great to see him scoring goals in a USA jersey because, as you mentioned, he is he's one of my favorite – he's one of everyone's favorite players. I mean, nothing, nothing will ever – I don't know. Donovan's goal will top it, but my second favorite U.S. goal of all time is uh, the opening goal against Ghana in the 2014 World oh, Cup. That was on, excellent. On my birthday, excellent. 30 seconds, 30 seconds in, into the game. I just looked at my dad and was like, "Oh <laughs> my god, that just happened." Yeah, I might have like yelled like a like a, a small child or something, but I don't remember. I, I was, was in a, a long time. I was in a restaurant because we were finishing up my birthday dinner, watching it on the bar. We were in the bar area. <laughs> oh, you're cool, dude. And I, dude, I am cool. <laughs> and I was watching. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that just happened." Of course, we were the only ones watching because it was like five people in the bar at the time, but. Man, oh man, that was that's one of my favorite goals of all time, and it happened to be on my birthday, which was which was real fun. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Also, fun note: last time Jermaine Jones was worth anything in the U.S. jersey, <laughs> dude, he scored that sick goal against Portugal. Yeah, it was twenty fourteen. Uh, Portugal. That was, that I know that's what I'm saying. That's, cup, yeah. he sh- he deserves to start for the next five years after uh, that. Come on now. He, well, yeah. I sent a memo to Jurgen Klinsmann. I was like, listen, man, like you got to start him for the next five years. He's gonna do it again. I'm telling you right now, and he must have forwarded that memo to Bruce Arena. Yeah, well, like, yeah. I mean, I was gonna say it looks like it worked, but uh, Jurgen's gone now. But I mean, for the time being, you're still correct. So I, ride, <laughs> ride that wave, buddy. Ride oh, that I, wave. Now that goal was that goal was something else. But you are 100 percent correct. It's time for him to pass that torch on in midfield because you're you're it, a passenger is a great way to put it. I love that word when talking about like midfielders who don't impact the game. Oh, I love thanks, John. I love I love seeing that. I see it in match in like match ratings all the time. It's just like they got a four, and it's just like was a passenger <laughs> the whole game. It's a, it's a it's a very accurate uh a very accurate way of describing how uh how it is how it is when a midfielder doesn't play well yeah man um that's really is that is that you want to end it on that i guess all right well uh yeah let's do that um if you if you like uh fifa 17 uh i'm gonna do a little bit of a shameless plug here now that we're towards the end uh go check out the upgrade on mlssoccer.com um Make sure you follow me and John on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at TyBailey13. I'm JFurry616. And obviously, obviously, follow WFUV Sports on Twitter as well. And Jimmy Conrad. And Jimmy Conrad. I, I, we'll plug it one more time. Jimmy at Jimmy Conrad. He does a lot of stuff with BN Sports. And if you don't follow BN Sports on Facebook or Instagram, they got some great content. They really do. They, they, they're they seen as kind of like that outsider in the sports world. But yeah, they, they've got some the really good. Yeah, they're on the for sure. Um, I, love, I love working uh, for them with Jimmy. Um, hey, uh, follow Jermaine Jones on Twitter, too. And Instagram. And Instagram. (laughs) Well, that's all we got today, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in to this very special edition of FUVFC. We'll see you next week.